Welcome back to season two of the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced running physiotherapist, coach, and marathoner. This season will involve open discussions with my running colleagues about the key principles behind injury-free running and optimal performance. It'll be backed by personal experience, science, and history. I can only hope some of these chats inspire curiosity and expand or confirm perspectives and beliefs amongst the running community. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I'm very lucky to be in the presence of Sean Miska. Sean is known as the Movement Miyagi on Twitter. Over the past 14 years, he has worked nearly exclusively with individual NFL players, serving as their movement skill acquisition coach. In this role, he has partnered with over 100 players, one who was awarded the NFL MVP. I first came across Sean's work a couple of years ago when I stumbled across his educational platform, Emergence. As a physiotherapist and running coach that is keen to get distance runners to move better, I couldn't get enough of his work. So I had to reach out to him to get him on the show. So welcome to the Run Culture Podcast, Sean Miska. Dane, I certainly appreciate that very warm welcome. Uh, I'm very excited to be here because as we were talking before off air in the lead up to our conversation and chat here today, uh, this is a area where there is need of more exploration of some of the ideas, whether it's an ecological dynamics framework, uh, maybe a more problem solver paradigm that I try to adopt with the work that I do with National Football League players. But I certainly am very humbled and, and grateful to hear how the work that I've done might have impacted, influenced the way that you view behavior in your niche. And I'm excited to hear a little bit more about maybe how it has and we can have a little bit of interaction and mutual exchange over where maybe some of the things you're still wrestling with as well. So thank you. Yeah, well, um, to give you a bit of an insight, uh, only about two years ago, I started practicing uh, in my own practice. Uh, So I was practicing in a clinic for 11 years as a physiotherapist, and uh, I would see patients for half an hour indoors, and I had only known that way to practice. And the last two years, I've been on this journey and uh, opened up my mind to uh, practicing a little bit differently and uh, watching runners outside and really questioning whether the strength exercises or banded clam exercises I was routinely giving were uh, transferring as much as I hoped mm-hmm. they were. And uh, yeah, that sort of led me to your work and friends Bosch's work. And mm. I've just, yeah, been... Uh, chomping at the bit every every sort of uh, article or podcast that I can find that sort of goes down either the ecological dynamics kind of, kind of framework I've really enjoyed. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've uh, still very much in my infancy in this area, um, but 
yeah, really got an open mind because, uh, yeah, I can, I, I, it makes sense to me, uh, that it's, mm -hmm. um, there's a little bit more to it. Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, I understand that you're good buddies with, uh, Stuart McMillan from Altus. I am. He is yeah. uh, one of my very closest friends and, uh, that's why sometimes people see he and I going back and forth with one another on Twitter and the like. And uh, if, the, if they see that publicly, they should actually see the strings and threads of messages that get exchanged uh, more privately. Uh, because one thing that I uh, love about Stu, and you learned this with obviously uh, attending the Sport Movement Skill Conference here in 2022, and I was the one facilitating Stu's dis discussion and the emergent interaction. And um, the thing about Stu is, even though he exists in a sport with an activity or problems that appear to be more repeatable, more consistent, more stable, what Stu has realized much, much earlier than most people is that there's a lot to be gained by viewing the world more ecologically. Uh, to look at this performer-environment relationship and this mutual reciprocal exchange between the problems that the environment is offering us and the opportunities to act in our own unique and authentic way, and then how we do go about uh, acting with that environment and in this close, nice, neat relationship with it. So one thing that even though I do harass Stu a bit and he does the same to me, uh, the one thing that I love him to death for is the fact that he is very open-minded, much like yourself. He, he was willing to sort of empty his cup and let it be filled a bit by some of these ideas, the things that did resonate to him. It, it didn't mean that he goes in it blindly. In fact, he's questioning everything, and that's another thing that I do love about him. Um, that The thing about it is he, when you have an empty cup, and this applies to anyone, and you probably have heard me say it before, it's why I live and breathe by a Bruce Lee quote of, use your own experience, put, your, put anything you're taking in through that experience filter, and then absorb what is useful, discard what is not, and add what is uniquely your own, right? And I think if we all do that, then we might begin to abandon some of our traditional dogmatic ways of thinking. And that sounds like that's exactly what you've done here in the last number of years as well. So kudos to you for doing exactly that. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Um, so would you say, in, in light of this, uh, with running, uh, as long as the movement stays functional, uh, there's a technical functional way to do it, but then there's also a bandwidth about that, uh, which is the individual and how mm -hmm. they like to problem solve. Uh, yeah. Is, so like, is that a good word bandwidth? <laughs> it, it's a yeah. fantastic word, Dane. Um, and it's one of those, words that I wish all, no matter what niche we're talking about within sport performance or within a respective culture, if you will, whether it's run culture, obviously, whether it's a football movement, skill culture, whatever niche you exist within in under that respective umbrella, if people were to think more about this bandwidth of execution, all of a sudden we start to value some of the very inherent qualities and properties of a human movement system that makes it more functional or more skillful, right? It, there's more variability there, person to person, but also within person, depending on what problems they're interacting with. Like you're gonna see that if people are too hyper-constrained 
to a certain way of executing because there's some sort of technical model they have in their head or they're trying to adopt something that maybe a coach informed them uh, of behaving like, but it doesn't fit their authentic model, they aren't going to have as robust and resilient of system to perturbation that the world could give us. The other thing there, they're not going to be as flexible and adjustable and adaptable to running, say in this case, across an on a wider range of surfaces or conditions. And, and of course, runners are notorious for not letting anything deter them, right? Like from the environment, you'll run, rain, snow, sleet, shine, right? It could, I live in Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota here in the United States, and it's the dead of winter and it's very, very cold here. It was very icy earlier this week and I was walking my dog, but yet I still saw people out running on the ice, you know? But yet they don't, they're, they're still trying to take their authentic model and do something that someone might have told them to do in Runner's World magazine or a physiotherapist over here or a trainer over there, right? And it's like, if you could open your authentic model to having more bandwidth to your point, it might be more adaptable and flexible to meet the needs of the icy surface or the snow or to move from the sand to asphalt, asphalt to concrete, and you kind of see where I'm going with this. So the ideas of ecological dynamics, particularly trying to harness the inherent variability of the human movement system, and to try to chase authenticity, I think is a very pertinent one in the running world. Oh, you articulate it uh, so well. Um, and for anyone that wants to, uh, I think, understand uh, the topic even more like that article that you recently released uh, with Keith Davids and Tyler Yubi uh, being water uh, where you yeah yeah likened uh, Bruce Lee's philosophy with uh, the t t uh, the ideas of ecological dynamics uh, mm -hmm. I think that's a fantastic read because it I, I think summarizes uh, that um, idea of needing to uh, yeah, I guess um, a bit ha have the running uh, skill movements exercises look a bit more alive and mm -hmm. uh, uh, constrain those uh, movements uh, in some way or form if you feel like they need need it um, and make the exercise look more representative. Uh, mm -hmm. The idea of like the ugly zone and challenging movement yeah. and embracing that, I think a lot of runners don't where there's a lot of perfectionists in terms of distance mm -hmm. runners and they don't really embrace that idea. And then having some skills that actually, uh, you know, if you're getting better at it or not, like there's knowledge of results. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so like in terms of running drills, I know you don't really like that word. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, how should runners, uh, probably like, uh, should we do running drills or how should we think about running drills? Yeah, yeah really, yeah. really good question. And this was something that when you first reached out to me, I meditated upon, of course, and not knowing what the questions that you were going to ask were, but this topic, because runners, like you mentioned, are typically more perfectionist by nature, right? They're, they're looking for stability of a pattern in most cases. They're looking for repeatability or consistency, a really deep attractor well, right? 
And so this was something I meditated upon a bit, knowing that in my sport of American football, things are highly alive. It's very dynamic. It's, it's highly complex. There's numerous interacting component parts, right? And it can be sometimes be chaotic. But when we really think about an ecological dynamics framework, Dane, is it is not just a view of a specific sport or specific sport activities or how an athlete or performer could or should move within that respective sport. Instead, ecological dynamics is actually a framework to study any behavior anywhere through, right? And this is why, you know, you mentioned the being water paper where we did liken Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do uh, to ecological dynamics for many of the concepts within it. One of those main concepts of Jeet Kune Do, in fact, his emblem, um, and I usually have something Bruce Lee around me. I, in fact, this time I don't, surprisingly enough, so I actually kind of feel like I'm doing it injustice. But if you look at his logo, uh, it actually, part of it, it has this mantra written around it in Cantonese that says, to use no way as the way. And I think that if we really think about what that might mean for us within our craft or within our exercise or activity design, and, and that's why I use, I like the word activity as opposed to say drill or even exercise for that matter, because drill or exercise would be more oriented around, again, repeatability, or we're trying to hit some sort of position or we're trying to repeat with consistency, typically in a rote type of fashion, right? Rep after rep after rep. But if we think about the idea of using no way as the way, all of a sudden we can explore and search, discover and exploit more ways of interacting with the problem that's in front of us. So I'm trying to take the time to unpack that because I think if runners were to kind of reframe the way that they go upon their activity design, they realize that the movement behavior that emerges in their sport is still nothing but a problem-solving activity. And the emerging movement solutions are based on perceptions and intentions and actions, which are going to be intertwined and interwoven to meet the needs of that peculiar problem. We never stand in the same river twice for we're not the same man and the river's not the same either, right? So even if you're running on the same trail or you're executing um, some sort of decontextualized, isolated activity that is supposed to enhance your running performance, you're not the same man or the same woman on that respective day, even if you're doing the same exercise. The problem itself is not the same because our constraints are constantly changing. And so I, I say all that to say this, the more aliveness we can bring in that activity where we might be trying to el elicit a certain variable movement strategy or solution so we can kind of explore how we might adapt our motor pattern to meet the needs of that problem. I think that's where runners would be very well served because I think you allow a certain amount of robustness and resilience for your movement system to endure some of the perturbations that the running world brings us. And, yeah. and I think that to me is maybe how runners might be able to harness, even if they want to keep calling them drills or exercises, or if they then adopt my idea of taking the word activity, because activity means that there's a certain amount of liveness there, right? I use the Bruce Lee idea again, and I'll stop here um, after this point, but 
the thing with Bruce Lee when he was formulating his own personal interpretation of the martial arts, which is coined Jeet Kune Do, this idea of using no way as the way. This was in the 60s and early 70s when many within martial artists were, within martial arts, were very traditional, doing katas and forms, repeating just like a runner would, right? Like we're going to repeat this this many times till we can't get it wrong. And it's very likened to a very analogous to how a runner goes about it, right? Yeah. Bruce Lee comes in, kind of shakes up that snow globe and says, well, no two problems are ever the same, so neither should any be any two solutions. And if I can adjust here in order to get this output to be more adaptable over there, I think I want to go down that path. And hence the reason why he started to, you know, study not only Wing Chun, which is what he was traditionally trained in, but going into judo and wrestling and going into other martial arts, taekwondo, karate, Western boxing, strength and conditioning. But, you know, obviously the running world typically has begun to see what that can offer them. But even like things that Bruce Lee looked at with like fencing and people would think like fencing, but he took like the aliveness of that footwork and in a sensitivity to distance and spacing and how he might be able to remain creative. Even uh, he was a cha-cha dancer, like something like that that he was able to take something from. And I guess that's what I'm saying with the running world. If on the surface, they might listen to some of the things I'm saying, like what can I possibly learn from a movement skill acquisition coach in the National Football League? But I believe that we both have a lot that we can learn from one another, my population and yours. Yeah. Um, well, there's a, a question that I've really wanted to ask you, Sean. And uh, in December, I went to Franz Bosch's course Okay. And yeah, he, um, he's a huge fan of aqua bags mm -hmm. and, uh, the bags with water in them. And he, he, um, would get you to do a lot of running sort of, uh, movements, uh, with the aqua bag. Uh, and my thought was that, that does that create a bit more aliveness, uh, and variability in the movement? Uh, but then at a, I guess it's not that representative to like, you don't run with a water bag, um, on sure. your back. Um, uh, but could this be like a supplementary activity because, uh, it might, uh, constrain a runner to be more sensitive to certain attractors, um, that you feel like, uh, they, they, uh, uh, should be more attuned to, uh, to move better as a runner? Yeah, good question. And yeah. I will start out by, by giving the premise that much of the aqua bag work obviously is built on the idea of repetition without repetition, right? We're going to perturb the interaction between the performer and the environment, which to me is really uh, a bit at the heart of ecological dynamics, at least from a training and practical application standpoint, right? So even though it lacks representativeness, which I agree with you on, it certainly brings a certain amount of perturbation. Uh, and through that perturbation, you get variability. You get variability of the movement problem and solution dynamics, which for me, anything that we can do with that, there's a benefit to, right? 
But because it does lack a little bit of representative nature, sometimes the information that wouldn't could become attuned to, or if those listening would just be the information both external, so the foot hitting the ground, or internal, in the joints and the pressure and the kinesthetic sense and awareness. Uh, and those are just examples, of course, and I'm sure your, your listeners are, are very well educated on these things. But the information detection or the sensitivity to the most specifying information, that to me is something that I'm always looking to try to find ways to gain more connection and coupling with, if that makes sense. Yeah. And sometimes I think the Aqua Bay work contradicts that a bit because you're getting more attuned or sensitive to information that's not going to be there when you go for a run. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's where the danger is that if people adopt too much of that or they chase that rabbit down the hole too far and no longer use it for its purpose, if they're using it for the functional purpose or intention of uh, accessing variability of the movement system, and trying to test out or, or carve out those attractor wells, to your point, then I think that's all well and good. But I think too often people think because it brings some sort of functional purpose that it's kind of like a cure-all, serve-all. And I think we need to go further than that to become more sensitive and attuned to aspects of our environment a little bit more. That um, I, I think people need to go a little bit further down that path um, especially those that are, are really adamant about attractors, which obviously uh, Bosch and his crew particularly are. And, you know, whether it's hip lock uh, and the like, right, down the laundry list, I think he has maybe eight of them, something of that nature, yeah. if I'm thinking about it correctly, unless he's added some. Oftentimes those attractors are highly biomechanical in nature, right? To me, Dane, I think we start. We need to start having the conversation about perceptual and cognitive attractors in the same way we are with biomechanical attractors. And you mentioned Keith Davids and Tyler Yerby, and, and they obviously joining forces with me with the Being Water paper. Uh, the three of us also teamed up on a paper that hopefully will be released somewhere here. Uh, it's in review right now, but it's movement behavior as a problem-solving activity. And within that paper, we attempt to reframe the degrees of freedom problem to be more about this integrated nature between perceptions, cognitions, and actions. And if that's the case, then the human movement system doesn't just have attractors or fluctuations biomechanically, even though that's what we can see, right? But then perceptually, and again, not just the vision and the eyes, even though I pointed to that, but we talk about your sport or activity. We're talking about haptic and touch perception. We're talking about vestibular or auditory type of perception, right? How your foot is hitting the ground, your cadence, your rhythm, your pace. Um, we are still talking about the vision, but we're talking about all those layers of this sensory information that's coming in, right? So that's there, there's this degrees of freedom but also then attractors or fluctuations that we might need to have with our perception. And then the same thing can happen cognitively, like what we're thinking, how we're thinking it, how we might go back to a memory, how our memories may play a role in how we might interact with a certain surface, right? Maybe how the light is hitting on that respective day and, and how we resonate to that. 
You know, like if all of a sudden the there's going to be this intertwined, interwoven nature between perceptions, cognitions, and actions, right? We don't know where one of those processes ends and another one begins. So it's very hard to separate a biomechanical attractor as being the thing that we need to chase. It could be an aspect of it, but it will be connected and, and perpetually uh, feed into perceptions and cognitions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that's... And I hope that we articulate that a little bit more in a, the paper. I mean, well, I hope that we do. We have like 8,500 words or something. So <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that we do it a little better than that. But we start to capture the aliveness across these activities, but how we might be able to frame uh, the problem-solving interactions that a performer has with whatever environment they're in. Yeah, that's that's yeah, fantastic. I've never thought of um, yeah the idea of attractors um, in, in terms of perception and, and cognition as well. Um, I'm keen to read that paper when it comes out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll definitely yeah. Send, I'll definitely send you send it your way in it. In it will be open access, I believe. So that will help because then all all uh, the listeners here will be able to read it as well. Uh, and then uh, the other thing that um, I got to ask friends um, about uh, to to get a, a runner to move move better, like what are like um, a couple of things that you'd um, often employ. And he's like, for a distance runner, I'd I'd get them just to run over lots of trail running. So just do heaps mm. of trail running and. I felt like that made sense to me because um, there's variable terrain, so they're going to have to mm -hmm. problem solve and negotiate that variability and uh, uh, and explore movement. So mm -hmm. that was awesome. And then uh, uh, and that sort of uh, uh, in 2014, I went to Kenya um, and spent seven years in Kenya running with the Kenyans. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was one part of that experience. Obviously, there's so many factors about why they're good runners um but one uh, really surprising part of the experience was there was not one smooth concrete path mm -hmm. like it was just rocky um uh roads everywhere and you uh had to i just felt like i had to watch my step all the time uh and you know, i think that was like an underrated aspect to why they're such mm -hmm. good movers um as well um and then the other uh, thing that Bosch uh, said that he'd give every runner a skipping rope for two months and tell them to run as fast as they could um, and just get them, get the skipping rope to teach them how to to move better. Um, and he said he had one runner that he worked with that could run 11 seconds over 100 metres with a skipping rope. Um, and since then, I've been using that a little bit on the runners that I okay. work with and um, it certainly um, constrains them to move differently like they mm -hmm. definitely I don't know look more powerful and they all feel more athletic and uh, uh, generally feel a little bit faster but they kind of look like they're doing this weird bounding as they mm. get faster and as um, as you tell as you try to challenge them to get faster they sort of turn it into something that looks a little bit more like a run um, okay. Uh, but I've been playing around with that in different surfaces and different inclines and uh, bare feet and runners and uh, different speeds and anyway that's a it's been a fun fun little uh, activity to play around with and explore movement uh, 
and it's something that I hadn't really uh, used prior to um, Fran's influence. But I was just wondering, mm -hmm. like, what your take is on, on um, both those uh, recommendations. Mm -hmm. I love, love, love the first one. Absolutely yep. love the first one. In fact, if you were to ask me to give two, that would certainly be one of them. I would probably add another layer to it uh, be to go beyond terrain, you know, because terrain is certainly part of the movement problem in the environment performer relationship there. Um, and to do as many different terrains as you possibly can, knowing that it will inject repetition without repetition and the variability that will follow, right? So that's near and dear to my heart. In fact, if there were three words to summarize that, which what I do with NFL players, it's repetition without repetition for that reason, right? Because it involves this constant problem solving that each and every time that somebody interacts with it, it, they're going through this process of solving that peculiar problem in front of them as they interact with it. So terrains, absolutely, positively, without a doubt. And I think you're right with the Kenyans. Um, I would say that we have to think about the environment even bigger than that, number one, um, looking at different true conditions, weather conditions as much as we can, running at different times of the day, right? Typically, again, runners are creatures of habit, as you know better than I do. Yeah. And somebody's gonna go for a run at 6.30 a.m. every single day, and that's the time they run, right? But we're not always the same organism, they're not always the same athlete or runner at 6.30 a.m. as we are at 6.30 p.m., right? So by switching up times, and, and people will say, well, you know, that's the time that I have carved out to run. I think there's a great benefit in being able to run at any time in any way, if that makes sense. So think about the creatures of habit that people become. Well, I'm always going to do this same warm up, or I'm going to do these same prehabilitation exercises before I go for the run. I'm going to stretch my soleus, I'm going to stretch my gastroc, so on and so forth, right? And I'm going to do it in this way. I think just injecting more rep without rep there like how you approach the activity or the problem solving of running, I think there's a tremendous benefit on. That you kind of shake things up a bit and require adaptability of the runner themselves. And in that, we know that sometimes people, if they have some sort of run schedule, particularly when we're talking about competitive distance runners, and this was something that I learned just um, Inadvertently, uh, most people don't realize this, but I actually ran a, a marathon, 26.2 myself, back when I retired from bodybuilding. But I did it without training. Like that was part of the requirement. I was not allowed to train because I wanted to experience maybe what people were going through at the most extreme levels. I did finish it. It wasn't very fast. However, <laughs> uh, what I did realize around the people that I was interacting with in that community is they are that creature of habit that you talked about. So if we can make them a little bit more comfortable being uncomfortable, now all of a sudden they become more adaptable to whatever the conditions or situation might bring within the run when and where it counts, which is in the race or you know when obviously all hell starts breaking loose with their body because maybe some sort of compensation pattern and the like, if they start to get more bandwidth again, like we started at the beginning, I think what we have is making them a more effective or more functional problem solver as a runner. And so conditions, I think, are a big thing. Now in Minnesota, we have snow right now. We might have rain next week. We might have snow. Not everyone has that type of wide, varied, conditional in environmental conditions, right, to deal with. But the more you can get, I think the better off you're going to be. 
And I think doing um, maybe the differences in the terrains, like Bosch said, but the terrains in the same run. So you don't have to focus on like, well, today's my asphalt run or tomorrow's my you know, run on dirt or, or gravel or, you know, the thing that you said, you always have to watch your step. It's funny when, when I, I got really excited when you reached out to me about this because people think, well, what can, um, again, that really alive environment such as American football teach someone about running and running more effectively? I think this is one of those areas. Like, you guys are problem solving just like my guys are right? Like the individuals you're working with are certainly doing that. And then also I would say this, Dame, um, the foot in the surface interaction, right? If we're changing the surface, what about changing something about the aspect of the foot? Now, most people have started to do some barefoot work, some um, shoe work, right? But think of when a runner finds the shoe that works best for them. Like, oh no, I need this type of shoe and I need this brand and I need it this size and it needs to be this tight, right? <laughs> How about shaking that up and bringing a little variability there? Yeah. Maybe, you know, uh, one type of shoe versus another, one brand versus another. You know, like things, things like that actually just bring more adaptability. Now your performance might temporarily drop, right? Because you know that there's one shoe that performs better than another, say for your foot and your running style. But what if we were to become more effective and more functional with a wider range of footwear. Then I think there's, there's something to that as well. Um, and then the other thing I would say, and I know that I've gone well over two now, <laughs> but, I think, uh, but I think about this and, and really what Bosch was, was saying that I agree with, or part of it, kind of with a caveat, is to think about ways that we can have Distance runners, even though their sport of choice is more repeatable and more stable, to move in more varied ways. And that was really, I think, what Bosch was getting at. I probably would go at it in a little different way than he would with a jump rope or a skipping rope. I would try to subject them to a lot of different ways of moving. Moving laterally, lateral shuffles, maybe a crossover type of run skips, hops, bounds, forward, backward, left, right. And you can go up, down, you know, do more plyometrics there to where they just get to explore their body and time and space, uh, interacting with the ground in different ways. And even though it might not look, feel, and act like running does in a straight line going your fastest, I think there is something to that to be gained because you start to open the bandwidth and the you start to solve the degrees of freedom problem for oneself in a more self-organized way. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Sean, and it's probably an area that I'm guilty of um, as a, as a physiotherapist, uh, uh, probably exercising too much control at times, mm. like over patients re returning from injury. I'm like, oh, just wear this pair of shoes or just run on this surface and. I think like in the early days when they're recover recovering from an injury, it, 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 um, it um, keeps them safe so that they um, mm. recover. Uh, but you, you're, you're spot on that diversity of um, uh, surfaces and stimulus. Uh, like, yeah, I think like, um, yeah, it makes you a more robust uh, yeah, runner going forward. Something that I've really enjoyed the last two years with the athletes I coach is um, 
uh, just doing like 10 minutes uh, on the sand as well. Um, mm. We live close to the beach and uh, uh, getting them bare feet on the sand. It's amazing how little a lot of them have been doing of that. And just to, um, uh, yes. And, and then it's funny, like after you do that um, for 10 minutes and then you go for a run uh, on a firmer surface, you, mm -hmm. you feel, um, oh, I don't know, you just feel really uh, effective. Um, yeah. So I don't know what's happened in the system there, but... Uh, I think it's an attunement process, honestly. Mm. You become that much more sensitive and attuned. It has sort of amplified that foot and surface interaction. The, the two really get become connected to one another, and you become that much more sensitive to that specifying information, which is very important for a runner, right? Yeah. In the elasticity or rebound that would exist throughout the body when it interacts with a different surface. Um, last question. I know I've held you up a bit, but... Oh, no, you're good, uh, my friend. Uh, um, so on that, like, so say if someone's moving and you feel like, oh, they could move with more elasticity, um, uh, sort of more um, bounce, and uh, mm -hmm. you, you think they could move more uh, economically and, and with their tendons or, or connective tissue... Uh, and, uh, and you watch them and they're sort of overstriding and, uh, and, and, and that's despite doing trails and despite running on the sand or despite doing a few of these, a few of these, uh, different, uh, environments to try to see if it gets them more attuned. Mm -hmm. Uh, what would your process be to sort of, uh, facilitate, um, a runner? Yeah, really great question. I personally, and I, I will kind of piggyback on the answer that I had for the previous question a bit, because I believe that it might actually hold the key here. You know, when we think about distance runners specifically, oftentimes they are aiming at economy or efficiency, right? And that's what leads to, at least in their mind, hypothetically, effectiveness, right? Or performance or skill. But I think if we have this specific problem, like we're shaking things up and we're and we've we've changed the environment and we maybe maybe have made it more alive, I think there is a time and need to inject more explosive plyometric work, because someone can't be on the ground for a longer period of time or overstride in some of those things to do it effectively. Like you get immediate feedback, you almost amplify the error, if you will. You're feeding the mistake. Right. So if you just have them do explosive bounding, maybe in short uh, reps or sets of shorter reps, you know, even just a, a triple bound type of action, even a triple jump. Right. Something like that, that if they spend a lot of time on the ground and they're not very economical, like you can feel the energy leaks, you can feel the dumping of that energy and you almost start to self-organize into saying like, well, I'm trying to get off the ground quick here. You know, where I'm trying to get back up and into my next action. I think even just letting the environment speak to the movement system through the movement problem by really shaking up that movement problem to make it be something more explosive. Now, I'm not saying that if someone increases their bounding distance or ground contact time improves when they're doing a bound or a depth jump, say, for example, or a hurdle hop or something of the like, something very plyometric in nature, that it's going to directly correlate to performance in the distance 
uh, activity or event, but it could actually change the way that they do interact during the distance event, which could lead to performance benefits later, less injury or maybe more efficiency. And so there might not be a direct positive transfer, but it might be more of a far transfer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think there could be something there. The other thing I will say is this, and this kind of comes in on the back end of our last answer as well. Doing things that are more novel that they haven't repeated. This is one of the things that I like, and, and this could be something that a rabbit hole you go down. Um, people who are moving in more nature type of oriented environments. Uh, two years ago, I had Rafe Kelly from Evolve Move Play present at the Sport Movement Skill Conference. And shoot, I watched some of the videos of his people going through and chasing each other in tag-like fashions through the woods or over tree branches and over a creek and under this and, you know, parkour-oriented um, type of activities, but in nature. So balancing, jumping, hopping, running, uh, sprinting, you know, doing things at different paces and tempos across environments, but in novel ways, I think might be able to hold some of the key to the car here too, because runners are just so acclimated that I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be repetitive and I can only get so much better because I have so many reps built up, right, of doing it this certain way and you certain certainly have a, a movement signature that has been carved out. But if you go to one of those novel or general type of activities that is maybe more foreign or more unorthodox to somebody, like it causes them to kind of become a beginner again. And if it's something like having to be explosive, say in this case that you're bringing up, I think it could lead you to what it is that you're after. Especially, let's face it, most runners haven't done a lot of plyo work and they certainly haven't done it out in nature, out through a woods or, you know, even... Um, especially in Australia, you have plenty of environments that, that kind of call for that type of way of acting. Oh, exactly. Oh, that, that's, um, yes, so well put. And, uh, I couldn't agree, agree more and sort of needed you to like put words to it, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we had, um, I had Rafe Kelly on, uh, oh, you did? yeah, a couple oh, of months ago. And, oh, uh, terrific. yeah, it's, um, super, super smart dude. Yeah, I know. Yeah, very and, smart guy. Yeah, um, and yeah, no, I, I, I'm so so happy with everything you've discussed, Sean, um, on on this podcast. And I think a lot of runners are gonna it's gonna really um, twig a lot of runners to think about things a bit differently because distance runners, particularly, like we've said, um, we love sense of control and um, mm -hmm. we're recording everything on our watches um, <laughs> uh, on Strava and everything's. Uh, about reps and sets and numbers and how much K's did you do in the week and um, I think that idea of like getting a little bit messy a bit out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. like that's how you're gonna push your um, your learning and and move mm -hmm. move a bit different and and push your attunement to to um, yeah uh, different ideas uh, so uh, mm -hmm. I'm still wrapping my head around it, but I thank thanks so much uh, for jumping on, Sean, to help help um, push this concept. And if there are other um, listeners that are interested in following up on your work, uh, mm -hmm. how can they find you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, in the bio, you mentioned uh, at Movement Miyagi, so that would be the first one if anyone's on Twitter. Uh, I'm not on any other social media besides Twitter, but that would be one place. And of course, I do and am associated with Emergence, and we have a Twitter as well, which is at Emergent Movement, but it's spelled MVMT.com, and that's the same as our website. Uh, emergent movement, but movement is spelled MVMT.com. Uh, and uh, with that, obviously people can look at the blogs that I've written at Emergence or the courses that we've put together. Uh, we have everything from low hanging fruit and low entry points to then uh, bigger ones that obviously involve a lot of interaction with myself as well as the team at Emergence. And then, of course, uh, we do put on the annual Sport Movement Skill Conference, which you attended back in November. Uh, we've just had our fifth annual Sport Movement Skill Conference. We haven't scheduled number six yet, but that announcement hopefully will be coming shortly. And, of course, I would encourage people to, to reach out to me in any one of those places or ways. And, of course, if someone... Um, really wants to geek out. I also have a football-oriented uh, movement skill analysis blog site called Football Beyond the Stats. So people, if they, they really want to see how I put these ideas to use in American football, that would be the place to do it. Um, and then I have to ask you, knowing that you are in Australia, is you know I'm a big MMA fan. And this weekend, uh, on Saturday, UFC... Uh, the UFC is in Perth, and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, who just happens to be uh, Australian, is uh, number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world, facing number two Islam Makachev. So I have to ask if you will be watching or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sean, I I haven't been following um, MMA at all, but like um, I um, really liked um, on your YouTube channel um, some of your breakdowns. Uh, of Conor McGregor and oh, Floyd, Floyd May, May, yeah, the um, yeah, their their fight, um, yeah, um, but yeah, I think um, I should watch some other sports, like you said, um, Bruce Lee did. Um, mm -hmm. it, it definitely, I'm definitely at that stage of my development as a as a physiotherapist and running coach, where um, doing more of that is actually, um, what I'm getting more out of. Um, yeah. uh, so yeah, I, I'll watch it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely do so because, uh, and you'll see me, I'll be interacting around it and about it because I, I agree with you. I actually found when I started exploring more of the martial arts and this would have been in 2015 and 2016, uh, and then obviously till now, uh, and other sports for that matter, you know, it wasn't just American football any longer. It was trying to see what we could take from those other activities and uh, the way that performers, not only the top ones, but across the, the spectrum there, uh, were interacting with those problems. There, there is something there that I think most of us could get out of our comfort zone and do more of, myself included. I'm, I'm trying to. But, but uh, yeah, I just had to ask, knowing that uh, <laughs> obviously this will probably be released after the fact, but yeah. uh, I will be cheering. I will be cheering for Alexander Volkanovsky because he is more of uh, the style of mover that I kind of gravitate to. Uh, he's no, got more I'll, of that I'll, style. I'm definitely going to watch with interest. <laughs> uh, thank, yeah, definitely do so. Thanks so much, Sean. Um, and um, I'm I'm so um, wrapped uh, for your time. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks for jumping on. Yeah, absolutely, my friend. I appreciate you.